0: Hey, welcome, everybody. Welcome to River Glen. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're just delighted to have you joining us online uh, this uh, weekend. I know this might be a little bit different, especially for those of you that have never joined us online before. But I'm just grateful that we have this technology, and uh, it's so good to be together as as the church uh, community and celebrate God uh, together. I read something posted by a pastor named Andy Stanley that I want to share with you. He writes. Why cancel in-person church services during a pandemic? And it gives a few reasons. Number one, we are loving our neighbors by protecting our neighbors. Number two, we are not being fearful. We are being responsible. Number three, this is what love requires of us in this season. I thought that was well-written and affirming and encouraging. This is a great opportunity to serve people and be the church. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we're in this series called The Dark Room, talking about how God is with us in difficult circumstances and seasons to grow us and use us in greater ways than we ever imagined. But before we get into that, I want to invite you back next weekend. We have a very special guest speaker with us next weekend by the name of Ray McElroy. Ray played in the NFL as a cornerback for six seasons for the Chicago Bears, the Detroit Lions and the Indianapolis uh, Colts. Ray also served as the team chaplain for the Bears. He currently serves on the teaching team for a church in Beloit. I'm super excited about next weekend because Ray is really an outstanding preacher. Take a look. In this life, in order to be who God has called us to be, it's gonna take us stepping out on the unknown. feeds our doubt, while faith feeds our belief. You ever been in a space where nobody you turn to could help you? I wonder if you listened and heard about what Jesus had to say about your situation. Are you going to believe him or are you going to believe what your girlfriend says? Are you going to believe him or are you going to believe what the doctor says? I'd be a whole lot more interested in what Jesus got to say about your situation at the bottom line end of the day. Church, we have to believe the report of the Lord. Ray has a lot of uh, enthusiasm, as you can see. Next weekend is going to be a great weekend. You don't want to miss it. It'll be a great weekend to in- invite somebody to join you. Ray's going to begin a new series for us leading up to uh, Easter. He's going to talk about how Jesus walked on the water. And uh, it's going to be a great, great uh, weekend. Well, today we wrap up the series called Dark Room. A dark room is a place where you take film and you turn it into a picture, but the process is not instant, like with a digital camera or uh, one of our phones. The darkroom takes the film through a bath of nine chemicals in nine different uh, trays. And you have to wait for the picture to fully develop before exposing it to the light. And so often, this is the way that God works in our lives. God gives you a dream, a calling, a mission, Uh, a, a vision for your future, but there's this gap of time between the dream for your future and the fulfillment of that dream. And that gap is something that God uses as a dark room in our lives. If you think about it in different terms, in terms of a race, the dark room is not a sprint of instant discovery, it's a marathon of development. And that's one of the reasons why the dark room is so difficult, because we live in a culture of instant gratification. Instant results. Amazon Prime offers same-day delivery. Instacart will deliver your groceries to you in just a few hours. So many people just want instant gratification, instant change that they miss God's development process. And if you stop and think about it, many of the most popular uh, TV shows are about instant discovery from American Idol to The Voice to The Bachelor. These shows allow people to go from anonymity to instant discovery in a moment. And, and we all have this desire to be discovered, even in small things. We wanna be discovered for a project that we accomplished at work. We wanna be uh, discovered. You wanna be discovered for something nice that you did for your spouse. You wanna be discovered maybe on a dating website. We wanna be discovered to get our time in the spotlight. And we have this same desire when it comes to our faith. We think, God, I want you to discover me. God, I want you to see the the things, the wonderful things that I'm doing so that you will use me in great ways. But you don't have to be discovered by God because God created you and he already knows you. What we actually need isn't discovery, it's development. Here's why we need development more than discovery. God's desire for you and me in the dark room is that God wants to make sure that the light that is in you is greater than the light that is on you. The light that's in you he wants it to be greater than the light that is on you. Because if the light that is on you is greater than the light in you, I mean, that can ruin you. That can destroy you. And it's hard to develop when the, when the spotlight is on you and it reveals your flaws. But the dark room doesn't have a spotlight. And it allows you to clear out the noise and hear from God and to focus and think more clearly. Maybe, maybe you're in a job and you feel like, you know, I could, I could do more than this. But God wants to use that dark room, that, that obscurity, that time out of the spotlight to develop you. I know some parents that have had to hit the pause button on pursuing their dreams for a season as a parent. Maybe you long to use your education for something other than changing diapers. But God wants to use this season out of the spotlight to develop you and prepare you for this next phase of your life. And so here's the question. Am I willing to be developed in the dark room that, God takes, that t- God takes me through, knowing that it may be more difficult and take longer than I would like. Think of it this way. I like the way that uh, Christine Kane puts it. She said, the degree to which you're willing to allow God to do what needs to be done in you is the degree to which God can work in you and through you. What you allow God to do in you determines what God does through you. And we see this so clearly in the life of the character that we're gonna talk about uh, today. Today we talk about one of my favorite people in all of history and in all of scripture, the Apostle Paul, also called Saul. But before we get into his darkroom experience, I wanna do something a little bit different. And I wanna show you a finished picture of Paul's life. I mean, he lived an incredible life. It is a brilliant picture. I want you to see the finished picture that came out of his darkroom experience. First of all, out of 27 books in the New Testament of the Bible, Paul wrote 13 of them. He almost wrote half of the New Testament. Paul wrote more books in the Bible than anybody else. Paul's the author of the famous love chapter in the uh, Bible. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably have attended a wedding at some point and heard somebody get up to share a reading that goes, you know, love is this, love is that. Paul wrote that chapter. Paul wrote the most highlighted verse in scripture found in Philippians 4:6 which says do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. Paul also gave us this verse from Philippians also from Philippians 4 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse right there is found on more coffee cups and t-shirts and basketball shoes and jerseys than any other verse. Paul gave us another amazing verse that says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul wrote many of the verses that we hold on to, especially in a difficult season like we're in right now. This is the finished picture Of Paul's life. Paul's one of the most talked about figures in all of history. That's why every year, thousands and thousands of people from all over the world travel to the Mediterranean area to see where Paul lived and taught and died. Paul even has a large city in Minnesota named after him, one of the twin cities, St. Paul, because Paul changed the course of human history. It's an amazing picture, but it had so much to do with how Paul dealt with the dark room and how he developed in the dark room because the apostle Paul was not always that picture. I mean, Paul got imprisoned and shipwrecked and wanted to quit. He dealt with anxiety and depression and physical ailments. He thought he was the worst (laughs) sinner of all, but he pursued Jesus and developed into that amazing finished picture. So I wanna tell you Paul's story today. I wanna read some scriptures that he wrote and some scriptures that were wrote about him to tell you his story, to see his picture. And then I wanna share with you three ways that Paul developed in the dark room that I think can apply to your dark room as well. Paul started out, he grew up in the city of Tarsus. When I was a little kid, I remember going to Sunday school and we would learn about Paul from Tarsus. And I thought Tarsus was where tartar sauce uh, came from, Uh, but turns out it's not. Uh, It actually came from Culver's. Yeah, but that's another story. Tarsus is a small town in modern-day Turkey. Paul grew up going to the synagogue in Tarsus. He followed all the laws of Judaism. He was a model follower of Judaism. Back then, Judaism was much more than just a religion. It was a way of life. They even had their own government system and political system. And Paul was not only passionate about his faith, he thought God called him to defend and protect the Jewish faith from opposition and threats. And so when Paul heard about a carpenter from Nazareth who died and his followers said he's alive and people started leaving the traditions of Judaism and following Jesus, Paul goes, no way. That's not gonna happen under my watch. And so Paul began pursuing and arresting and imprisoning Christians. He even showed up one day in Jerusalem and oversaw the stoning, the killing, of a young Christian preacher by the name of Stephen. He watched as other people did it. He even held their coats so they could you know, free up their arms and throw the rocks harder and, uh, and kill Stephen. And Paul did this thinking, I'm helping advance God's work. God must be so happy with me right now. But when he traveled to the town of Damascus to arrest more Christians, something happened on the way to Damascus that totally changed his life. Here's what it says. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. You might think Catholic priest, but no, this is a a Jewish priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. The way, that's how they referred to Christianity back then. The way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. Some of you probably have heard the phrase, I saw the light. There's a famous gospel song. I saw the light. This is where it comes from. Paul saw the light on the road to Damascus. It says he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Notice how Jesus views you here. He says to Paul, if you hurt my people, you hurt me. That's how much Jesus loves, loves you. And he, he, he asked Paul, why are you hurting me by hurting my people? And then he, he says, now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. Uh, the men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. They see uh, Paul fall down. They have no idea what's going on. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now think about the significance of this moment in in Paul's life. This moment ruined his career and his passion. This moment wrecked his faith and his theology. This moment totally changed his life because Jesus is not a hoax. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you banked everything on something, but it didn't pan out. You know, you thought you'd find a job right away, but you didn't. You thought you'd get a promotion, but you didn't. You thought your marriage would last forever, but it didn't. You thought that you would have kids, but you're unable to do so. And maybe some of you have pushed back on trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior because you don't want to deny your heritage like Paul. But Paul realized, my heritage totally missed it. And Paul enters the dark room. Look what happens next. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision saying, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight uh, Street, which uh, evidently they didn't get very creative when they named their, their streets. Go to Straight Street. To the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Ananias is like, God, are you sure about this? I mean, Paul was like a terrorist, he's afraid of Paul. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. I want you to catch this. This is really important. God has a mission for, for every person. And here is God's mission, specific mission for, for, for Paul. Up to this point, the message of Jesus has only really gone to the, to the Jews. But God has chosen Paul to take the message of Jesus beyond Judaism to to the entire world. And so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, he's probably trembling right now, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road and sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. I want you to notice how how Paul was, was baptized immediately. Sometimes people come to faith in Jesus and uh, they're like, yeah, I'll get baptized someday. But in the New Testament, anytime someone comes to faith in Jesus, the next step they would take is baptism. Just like Paul. We actually have a baptism weekend coming up uh, a few weeks on, on Easter. What a great way to celebrate Easter and the new life, of Je- the new life that Jesus brings by getting baptized. If you're interested, if, if you'd like to uh, sign up, please let us know. So what Paul can see now. Uh, he got baptized. He's got a new mission. Sounds like he's ready to go, right? Sounds like he's out of the dark room. Three days in the dark room, and until he converted, and now he would bring the same passion and tenacity that he had for Judaism. He'd bring that to following uh, Jesus. It says afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the son of God. But this might surprise you. When Paul initially started preaching, didn't go well. The Jewish people plotted to kill him. The church is afraid of him. They don't believe that he's really converted. Paul's the right guy, but it's the wrong time. And that's why it says in verse 30, the believers, they took him down. Look at this. They took him down to Caesarea. Caesarea is a coastal town. And they sent him away to Tarsus his hometown. You know, these believers, they say to him, you know, Paul, you seem like a great guy. You seem like you've got a lot of passion for serving Jesus, but you need to go home. And they put him on a boat and they send him to Tarsus. I take it that Paul is not ready for the spotlight. God wants to make the light in him stronger than the light that is on him. Paul needs more development out of the spotlight. And and get this, he will spend the next 12 years in the dark room. You know, some of you have a dream, a a sense of calling, a mission, a vision for your future. It might be to start a business. It might be to finish college. It might be to move closer to family. Maybe you've got a dream of one day uh, getting married and having a family. Some of you wanna use your artistic talents and and gifts. Maybe maybe some of you sense a calling from God to start a business or maybe start a not-for-profit to really serve people in an important way, maybe bring water to people in poverty, but you can't make it happen right now. And you wonder, why would God make you wait so long to do such a good thing? And this is where Paul finds himself. You know, I think it it feels long to wait a couple days. Paul has to wait 12 years. He goes back home to Tarsus and he starts making tents. And for 12 years, God strips away what needed to go and he develops and refines Paul into the person that he created him to be. And then one day, he hears a knock on the door. He opens it up, and it's a guy named Barnabas, a Jesus follower from Jerusalem. And Barnabas says to Paul, "It's go time." And Paul will go on and live the kind of life that we're still talking about, reading about, and writing about. But he spent 12 years in the dark room. Now, I want to highlight uh, three ways that Paul developed in the dark room that you and I can do as well. Here's, here's the first way. First of all, in the dark room, Paul makes peace with his past. Paul had grown up Jewish and based his faith on what happened at Mount Sinai when Moses received the 10 Commandments from, from God. And some scholars believe that during this dark uh, darkroom period, Paul actually goes back to Mount Sinai. And he says, God, I've not forsaken you. God, I have just misunderstood you. I, I didn't realize that everything pointed to Jesus. I'm not leaving one for the other. I'm, I'm simply fulfilling my Judaism by following the true Messiah. He makes peace with his past. And so let me ask you, what does it look like in your life to make peace with your past? What do you need to let go of? Maybe it's your old view of God that you held on to because you believed in it. But now you know it's not true. Maybe for you, it's a grudge that you've held against someone and you need to let it go. You need to extend forgiveness to that person, uh, not just to free that other person, but to free you from bitterness. Maybe it's an I'm sorry that somebody needs to hear from you. Maybe it's just deciding I'm done with my past ways. Maybe it's the idea that you'll never make an impact with your life because of what you've done. Maybe you feel disqualified Because of your past regrets. But you know what? That's the opposite of the message of Jesus. Jesus took the punishment for your sin to give you the gift of right standing with God. And listen, if there was anybody who knew what it was like to feel guilty and to feel disqualified, it was the Apostle Paul. Remember, he killed Christians. He was killing Christians when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. But here's what he wrote. Uh, To Timothy, oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Jesus didn't disqualify Paul. He used him as an example of his great patience, even with the worst of sinners. So God is at peace with your past. How do you need to make peace with it? What do you need to let go of? so that you can move on. Because here's the second way that Paul developed in the dark room. He moves forward in faith. Paul doesn't just get past his past. He develops a stronger faith for the future in the dark room. Take a look at what happens to Paul during this period. He talks about this later. So to keep me from becoming proud, I mean, Paul was very zealous, a very confident individual, maybe overconfident. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, he says. To keep me from becoming proud. Now we're not exactly sure what this was. Maybe it was a an ailment, maybe a disease, maybe some depression or anxiety. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. You ever begged God to take something away from, from you? Paul did. Each time he said, My grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul finds strength and even joy in difficult circumstances. And he learned that in the dark room because this kind of development happens best in the dark room. Behind the scenes, out of the spotlight, Away from the noise so that you can hear from God and your attention is is more clear and focused. Maybe right now some of you wonder, why would God allow this difficulty in my life to go on so long? Well, maybe he's bringing you down so that he can build you up. Maybe he is refining you so that you can move forward in faith and accomplish his dream for your life. Maybe he wants you to fully embrace what Paul learned, which is that God's grace is all that you need. You know, I used to think of grace as like a one-time experience. You know, you become a Christian and God forgives your sin and you experience his grace. And that is grace. But we need grace every single day. As author and pastor Dallas Willard says, uh, Christians burn through grace daily like a 747 burns through fuel. God's grace is all around us. It keeps us breathing. We need God's grace to get through a single day much less accomplish something for Jesus. Paul learned that in the dark room. Toward the end of his life, here's what Paul wrote. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In other words, I'm moving forward in my faith. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let me ask you, what dream are you pressing toward in faith? What goal in life are you pressing toward in, in faith? If, if, if it's just a business deal, you know, if it's just an awesome business deal, maybe that's too small. What about a business deal that also honors God and blesses other people? If it's uh, just to get married that 's too small. What about a marriage that puts Jesus first and puts the love of Jesus on display to so that other other people can see it and they 're attracted to follow Jesus? A marriage that puts grace on display where every con, with every conversation that you have with your with your spouse we develop this kind of faith to move forward in the dark room here 's the third way that Paul developed in the dark room. He does the next right thing. he does the next right thing and and I know this it comes from a song from the movie uh, Frozen 2. Uh, but it describes what Paul did in the dark room. Paul doesn't just sit there for 12 years looking at his watch, you know, where's God? No, he does the next right thing. He starts making tents. And while he makes tents and lives at home in Tarsus, he tells people about Jesus. And so while you wait, just do the next right thing. You don't have to wait for an opportunity to fulfill your big dream, do the next. Right thing, as Mother Teresa said one time: If you if you can't feed 100 people, just feed one person. Just start somewhere. This is how the mission of God begins in our life. Just do the next right thing. Yeah, what would that look like in in your life today? Uh, You know, I don't know. Maybe you go to the grocery store. I went to the grocery store yesterday, and uh, it was a little busy. It was like really busy. And uh, it was hard even to find a parking spot. So you go to the grocery store and you find a great parking spot, but somebody pulls up at the same time. And so you do the next right thing, right? You let someone else get that uh, parking uh, spot. Then you find another uh, parking spot and someone else uh, pulls up, but you got there first. And so you give them the opportunity to do the next uh, right thing. You bless them, you uh, help them. Or if you have a career dream, but you're still not done with school, I mean, do your homework. Study hard for that next test. Do the next right thing. If you have a dream of running your own business someday, work hard at your current job. Work with integrity. Do the next right thing. If you have a dream to one day serve in full-time ministry until God opens that door, do the next right thing. Lead a life group. Serve people in your neighborhood. Take a class until God fulfills the dream of being a, becoming a spouse or a, a parent, if that's your dream. Lean into Jesus as he refines you into the person that your future spouse and future children need you to be. Ask God in your time of prayer, God, this is a dream I wanna fulfill, but God, it looks like this is gonna take longer than I'd like. God, what is, what is the next right thing for me to do? Ask people in your life group to, to pray for you. Do the next right thing. That's what Paul did. He kept working hard until one day it was time. Toward the end of his life, Paul says to Timothy, as for for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Those are the words of a guy who made it through The dark room. Now, I don't know what your dark room is right now, but don't quit. Don't give up. It's a good thing that you're in the dark room. Know that God is developing in you what He is preparing for you in the next phase of your life. The dark room is not an insult, it's not punishment. The dark room is a blessing of God to develop you into the person that He made you to be. Will you allow Him to use the dark room? to make you better. And if you're not in a dark room right now, remember what it was like for you to come through it and share that experience with other people because you never know who's going through it right now and how God wants to use it to develop them to change the world. I'm gonna say a prayer and uh, then we have a song to conclude this service and really to conclude this series. And during this song, we have some video of people telling us about how God has used the dark room in their life. And I hope it encourages you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your promise that even in difficult times, in those moments when life seems hard and you might seem far away, you are actually right here with us. God, remind us of that promise today and in the days ahead. You're in the dark room with us. And remind us that the dark room is not a punishment. It's a good thing. It's how you develop us and refine us to be more like Jesus so that you can use us to serve others. God, I pray as we go through a difficult time in our community and in our world, we pray for you to use our church, use River Glen Church, and use us as individuals to be an encouragement and a light to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.